Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Today, March 15th, marks 11 years since the day a multifaceted armed conflict has ravaged through Israel's most northern neighbor, Syria. For all of this time, over a decade plus a year, President Bashar al-Assad managed to cling to power, helped first by Iran and its Lebanese proxy Hezbollah, and since September of 2015, by Russia too. Earlier this month, representatives of the United States, the UN, and Arab and European countries called once again for a ceasefire, humanitarian measures to alleviate suffering, war crimes proceedings, and above all, a political power-sharing settlement, but there seems to be little progress as President Assad and his sponsors insist on purging remaining pockets of Islamist resistance to the regime. Where do the various actors, including Israel, stand as they mark this sad anniversary? Joining us in the studio to discuss this are Major General in Reserve Gilshon HaKohen, who is an IDF Army Corps commander, who formerly headed also Israel's National Defense Colleges. Thank you for joining us, General. Thank you. Also joining us is Colonel in Reserve Dr. Anan Wehebe, who is a senior fellow at the ICT at Reichman University, as well as a lecturer at Haifa University. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. And uh, Mr. Amir Oren, our TV7 editor-at-large, who is the host of TV7 Watchman Talk and Powers in Play, among others. Mr. Oren, give us a broader understanding. Where do we stand today, 11 years since the conflict has started? There is one simple lesson to be learned from these uh, 11 years. Never underestimate an Assad. On May the 9th or so, the year 2000, Vladimir Putin was elected president of Russia. A month later, Hafez Assad died and his son Bashar inherited his title and power. And these two leaders are now perhaps the most veteran of all, except perhaps for uh, Lukashenko of uh, Belarus. And there is a dynasty of Assads in Syria, going back to uh, Hafez Assad in 1970. And the various means which Bashar Assad has used to cling to power are remarkable. He has uh, uh, exploited the various uh, conflicts in and around his country, the uh, various uh, power groups. Then one may remember that in 2014, Daesh started spreading around from Iraq into other places in the Levant, mostly Syria. And uh, it is now gone because there were at least two coalitions against them. So as we are looking ahead, Assad may probably uh, stay in power, not least because Israel has decided that he is the lesser evil. Yes, he is evil, but better the devil we know than others. So um, while it is uh, March 15th, it is not the Ides of March for Bashar, at least not for the foreseeable future. Indeed. Uh, the Islamic State, 
may be gone on the physical territorial aspect, even though it still manages to maintain pockets of territory throughout the country, including most notably in northwestern Syria and the Idlib governorate. But they are not threatening his power. Indeed. Uh, let's bring in uh, a general who I regard as one of the people who understands mostly the essence of the situation in Syria beyond the capacity to also analyze the military perspective thereof. General Akwen, to what degree do you see the current state of play, 11 years in, since this conflict started, uh, in a state of array or disarray for that matter? First of all, that time that it began, I was just in the duty, co-commander responsible to this front. And I was really involved in what was the process regarding what Israeli uh, military forces and other services uh, accepted to do or refused to do. And we had a lot of conflicts regarding that. But just speaking from now backward, the main uh, issue is what is a state and whether at all we can speak about the moment in which a state stopped to exist. Actually, a state is not like human being life. Even in human being life, there are debates regarding the question, what's really considered to be an absolute death? Regarding a state, even at the moment, 2012-13, that it was looked like nothing remained from the concrete regime of Assad by keeping the symbols of sovereignty, just for example, paying uh, salaries for teachers, paying uh, uh, something like a pension or, some, or doesn't matter what to uh, wounded soldiers or uh, retired uh, teachers or senior officers. The networking of the state succeeded to exemplify itself. Even though the borders have been destroyed, that uh, ISIS took great part of Syria, the state existed. It is very, very important to look upon that uh, lesson, just to think that we have not at all a definite criteria about what is really a state entity. And, of course, the derivatives thereof, considering the fact that today it's more of a vessel state than an of actual course. state, uh, bringing the Russians into the storyline, bringing the Iranians into the storyline. Colonel Anan, uh, the moment we really look at the, the variables at play, is Syria today indeed, as many define it as such, a Russian vessel state that acts according to the interests and will of Moscow? Yeah, uh, we could see that Syria has been shifting from a regular uh, state. It's not a nation state. It's not a real nation state, but as an, an independent state in the region to something else, something where there were a lot of interests that are meeting in Syria. Of course, the Persian Acts, as well as the uh, what we called the Eastern uh, Polar, or the, the Soviet Union in the past that wanted to to come again to Russia again via Syria to the international politics, and it succeeded. 
1915, when President Obama decided not to interfere in Syria, he opened the door to Putin to rush in, and he did it. 2015. 2015. Yeah. And yeah. actually, it took three years. Indeed. It took three years, and we can see the results right now. Now, we can talk also about the, uh, the implications to what's happening right now in, in, in uh, Eastern Europe. Everything is related here. But Syria is not the same Syria. Um, the local uh, politics became regional, where Iran is here, uh, involved deeply in what's going on in Syria and via Syria to Lebanon, sitting on the Mediterranean, threatening Israel, a lot of aggression towards Israel, pushing arms, and uh, trying to export the revolution to the Arab Muslim world. And Russia is here, and it's now much more serious because it's international politics via Syria. So Assad here is okay, uh, is the, still the president, still dominating Syria. He's doing a lot of changes in, on the ground. Um, uh, probably uh, demography is shifting, is changing. And Assad will be kept in power uh, when Putin still needs him, Persian still need him, and a lot of minorities in Syria, as well as the Western world, is maybe watching another kind of devil that might come to replace him, which is still unknown, as well as Egypt, for example. They still want Bashar Assad to, to be in power. Indeed. Mr. Owen, I know how much you enjoy going down memory lane, history, uh, and I'd like to go back to the, the beginning of the previous century, uh, most notably 1926, when Sultan Bashar al-Atrash uh, started the Arab Revolt, which is classified as such by the West, uh, when the French had uh, uh, managed to attain the mandate of uh, this uh, territorial uh, strip of land called Syria today, there was obviously a conflict that ensued, and lo and behold, the, uh, the French have lost that specific conflict. But before they left, they actually, for three consecutive days, have bombed Syria, Damascus in particular, 10,000 uh, casualties altogether, according to various uh, historical reports. Uh, and then, obviously, Sultan Bashar al-Atrash was not part of Damascus. He was part of the Druze minority to the southwest, uh, southeast, excuse me, which indicated some lack of understanding of Western perceptions of the military experts behind the scenes in Paris with regard to the uh, cultural and beyond that, uh, the sects that are uh, making up this country called Syria. Is this an uh, analogy, if you will, that could represent also today a lack of comprehension or understanding of Western societies on how to deal with a country like Syria? Well, it goes back to what Gershom just said about the nation state, uh, the, the Napoleonic uh, creation, um, which uh, after two and almost 50 years uh, is still the main factor in international uh, politics. Uh, one may argue, and many Syrians did, that uh, because Syria was a province of the Ottoman Empire, um, today's Jordan and Israel are part of greater Syria. Of course, while saying that, they lost Alexandretta or Hatay to the Turks. Um, they now did, Idlib. Yes. Now they, they, uh, they had 
uh, lost control, not uh, today, but 17 years ago, over Lebanon. They, they never recognized Lebanon as uh, a sovereign state. They uh, insisted that it is uh, part of Syria. But what you are referring to is the uh, possible dissolution of Syria into cantons, uh, one of uh, which uh, could be Sueda, uh, Jebel Druze. And the Kurds. Yes, and, and there were voices in Israel, for instance, the late Igal Alon and some of the leaders of Mossad wanted to link up with Sueda in 1967 and thereby uh, perhaps uh, take Syria down from its uh, notch. Now, uh, when the Cold War started, Russia saw Syria as its best foothold in the Levant because of its proximity to Turkey, an old adversary of Russia's, and because of the Mediterranean coast, which provided the Russians uh, at Latakia and Tartus with harbors, um, which is, of course, also the case now, uh, in addition to the Khamimim air base. And up until 1989, the then ambassador to Damascus, who happened to be an old acquaintance of mine, Alexander Zotov, when he came to Assad, to Hafez Assad, and told him that the Soviets will no longer be able to prop him up, to give him the so-called strategic balance with Israel, up until that time, Israel had to consider Russia the perhaps uh, biggest obstacle to winning over Syria. Because in 1973, when Israel threatened Damascus, because Gershon was fighting in that war, when Israel was in artillery range from Damascus, and Israeli shellfire was heard on the outskirts of Damascus, the Russians threatened to intervene, as they did when Israel could have approached Cairo, too. So Russia in Syria is now a major factor in Israeli defense planning. To what degree is this truly integrated within the consciousness of uh, Israeli defense planning when we're speaking about Russia as our northern neighbor, General? They are present here, the Russians, with their interest. I remember I managed 2015, a huge exercise for general staff, uh, two weeks before the intervention of the, the first uh, Russian soldier. In September of 2015, yes. indeed. And in the middle of the whole uh, training, at the moment that the IDF invading Lebanon to destroy Hezbollah, I brought the Russian to intervene. The defense minister was uh, Boogie alone. And in estimation of situation, he asked a chief of intelligence, it was Ertzi, just new intelligence officer, do you have uh, for that any indication in the materials? He said no. I told him, listen, I'm like Aristoteles, not speaking about what really happened, but about what could happen. And we must consider that because it is changing everything. Just imagine that we are now trying to change uh, the threats against Israel. 
they are really concerned about that and they can stop us at the very moment, every moment, from the beginning. We cannot really uh, not think about that. And yet we are not really realizing the whole potential of the Russian here. And just another anecdote, 2012, uh, President Putin came to visit Israel. He was a, a invited to dinner in Shimon Peres, the president. And according to the protocol, one of the generals must just uh, come to sit in the table. I was just placard there, nothing beyond. And Shimon Peres told uh, Putin, I am sure you are aware about uh, what this uh, gentleman doing there as a president. He's killing his people. How come? And Putin ate and asked him, I'm aware, I'm really concerned. Do you have an idea about someone could replace him? I'm looking after that. <laughs> Very interesting indeed. And, and by the way, uh, what you said about uh, the exercise and uh, the unexpected um, item which you introduced, if you look at all of the think tanks, research papers, um, summing up 2021 and ahead of 2022, while they probably mentioned the tension between Russia and Ukraine, none of them predicted that <laughs> come February, only a month after they edited their papers, there will be such a war. Indeed. I'd like to ask you, Colonel uh, Wahabi, when we're talking specifically about uh, Israel's preparedness to such a scenario which uh, General Akhoyan yep. just uh, mentioned, uh, we do have a deconfliction mechanism in place. Just this past Thursday, a Russian delegation arrived in Israel for consultations to uh, be part of this. To be fair, it happens every month where there's face-to-face meetings on this specific topic. But to what degree do you see Israel prepared for the unexpected scenario, if you will? Yeah. Uh, if we first refer back to what happened in Syria when the uh, events started of the Arab Spring started uh, first in Dara in South uh, uh, Syria, I came to office to, uh, to um, a meeting, a weekly meeting with, uh, uh, with Eisenkot. He was the commander of the north uh, area in Israel. And um, I came with a paper from the internet. It was written in Arabic. It's a tribe uh, with an ultimatum to Assad. And I put it in front of him right away. And he's, I said, you know that he started laughing. I don't read Arabic what's written there. I told him it's a tribe of Al-Naimi. They are saying they we are putting an ultimatum to Assad to stop the, uh, the aggression against the civilians. From the uh, region? No, he's from uh, Homs, from up, up north. And he's saying in the paper that we are a tribe. We are almost one million, starting from Saudi Arabia. Okay, and there are conditions. He's, he asked me, what does that say? I said, that says that the primordial structure is waking up again in the Middle East. We are watching the states, but behind the states, they are the, the structures of a tribe, sectarians, uh, sects, and we should understand that. Those dimensions are going to um, be uh, acting, and we should see them, understand them. So yes, Israel, uh, in the formula, when we watch the Syrian terrain, we should understand that uh, there are the sects, 
they, they are transnational uh, actors that might be supporting, working, influencing. And if we don't understand this structure, uh, it will be a very bad job to do. They, uh, uh, the Russians are our neighbors. The coordination with Russia is crucial for us. Everybody that deals with the military knows that, but more than the military, it's much more deeper. Strategically speaking, Russia is our neighbor. We should understand. We should keep the door open. Understanding yes, their just interests. in addition, I can say you can come to the front in the Golan Heights without binoculars, just observing with your eyes. You can watch uh, uh, positions with Russian flags, Indeed. just yeah. indicating we are here in order to stay. Well, with that being said, however, and we're, let's go from a strategic perspective, we're looking also on the tactical level. Uh, Russia has uh, placed S-400 uh, surface-to-air systems, which have an aerial uh, range far beyond the border with Israel, deep into uh, the center of Israel, for that matter. We have uh, various tactical uh, gears and, and uh, strategic weaponry that uh, uh, range from cyber warfare to kinetic warfare. To what degree is this something that should be taken note of, especially at a time when we realize that uh, miscalculation, especially with the situation in Ukraine taking place right now, is much more likely and should uh, bring many variables into calculation? Well, one can go back uh, to the winter of 1983, between 1983 and 1984, when the um, Russians, the Soviets, introduced SA-5s into Syria, and that was a real scare for Israel, because the SA-5 covered Israeli all airspace all, all the way to Ben-Gurion ben Airport, civilian uh, traffic uh, too. And Israel had to consult with the United States on what to do. There were, there were tensions. But at that time, it was in order to bolster the Assad regime. Right now, the main Russian priority, much like the American top priority, is force protection. They are not putting all of these systems in Syria in order to be offensive or proactive towards Israel, and not even in order to protect Assad. It is to protect their own forces and what happened with their Ilyushin um, in 2017 only made them more adamant to try and protect against anyone, be they the Syrians themselves who shot down that uh, uh, airplane, or Israel or anyone else. So Israel should not really be concerned. There is a deconfliction mechanism in place. Uh, Israel does not coordinate with the Russians. Um, what Anan said is, is uh, correct strategically. But when Israel wants to attack an Iranian convoy in Syria on its way to Lebanon, it does not tell the Russians this is what we are doing. It only wants to make sure that there are no Russians in the vicinity. Indeed. And beyond that, we're drawing near to the end of the program, so I'd like to uh, focus on the specifics of Syria as a contingency. Uh, right now in Syria, you have the Americans, uh, you Iranians. have the Iranians, you have the Turks, you have... Uh, 
various organizations that used to be proxies off and currently are in Idlib or elsewhere. Uh, to what degree are we expected to see the situation uh, somewhat more shifted towards a contingent territorial space at a time when the Assad regime does not have enough troops, it is lacking yes. uh, forces under uh, their hands in order to do whatever they need to do to redefine what Syria used to be. General. One lesson we must learn, uh, not enough time to speak about it, is how a huge, well-formed military collapsed. And at the moment, we expect we just observe the commanded troops not fulfilling the expectation. The uh, northern commander that was Yair Golan told me they are not really what we expected them to be. I told them, no, you are just not estimating the situation. They are just not trained to that uh, kind of uh, a battlefield. And it is a very, very important lesson. Beyond that, what we must think regarding borders, the whole uh, stability of international borders, speaking also about Sykes-Picot borders, came to be examined, and yet they are still stable. Colonel Webby? I must say that I'm a bit concerned when I watch the next stage in Syria, simply because till now the Russian interests and the Persian interests were uh, plus minus on the same side. Later on, when the solution will start to be serious uh, for Syria, things will be taken to this extreme. And uh, then when the uh, interests of those two powers, uh, the regional one and the international one, in superpower in Syria will be contradictory to each other, I'm afraid Israel will be paying the price. So here, I think the conflicting is uh, is very uh, important. We should be thinking of this scenario. We should be um, relating a lot of local forces and local actors inside Syria that are transnational forces, and there's, there are many uh, um, on our side. Strong. The um, uh, most uh, important uh, threat to Israel's control of the Golan Heights is not tactical. A year or two ago, there was concern in Israel that the uh, first core of the Syrian army was being rehabilitated because Assad has managed to get rid of most of the opposition to his uh, power in the south or in the south. Western area, yes, which is, of course, across the boundary from, from Israel. And that first core, with Hezbollah and others, posed a danger. But the danger now to Israel's control of the Golan is diplomatic. If the Russians back up the Syrian claim to the Golan, at least in negotiations, this is the problem. I agree. Something you also discussed in your uh, program last week with uh, General uh, Bezek with regard to Poland preparing about 12 years ago with regard to the Russians. Maybe this uh, equation should be a lesson learned also for the Israelis. But this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank uh, General Akoen, Dr. Colonel uh, Webby, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time.
Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.